Jazz guitarist Howard Alden has been hailed as one of the greatest of his generation. A sensitive, complete player who draws on the entire history of jazz guitar for inspiration. Howard and I worked with each other in the first years of our careers, and this conversation provided a wonderful reunion and a chance to play together again. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. The following was recorded in front of an audience at the Escona Jazz Festival in Switzerland as part of a special series of conversations for Jazz Inspired. This is especially fun for me because Howard and I are early inspirations to each other (laughs) because we have known each other since the beginning of our careers in Newport Beach, California, and we're discovering different kinds of jazz and turning each other on to that. And Howard would come up with something the first time I think I heard Art Tatum was you playing me a Tatum record or something. And I brought some monk into the mix and we all kept, we kept playing these things, but we haven't gotten to see each other a lot in the last few years because we're both working around the world and traveling. So here we are and glad to be here. And Howard, I want you to talk right about that beginning, the beginning music that we both love, because many of you may not know that Howard started out as a banjo player. I did, indeed. I'd, I'd been listening to music since I was five years old. I first heard my first jazz records when I was about five or six years old. I had some little 45 RPM records of Benny Goodman and also the Count Basie rhythm section and a couple other odds and ends. I think there was a Glenn Miller record there, things like that. And I was attracted to that sound and that feel right away, you know, even though I didn't really understand all of it. But uh, eventually, when I discovered a four-string guitar in my house and started learning how to play it, I took it to a local music store in Huntington Beach, California. And there was an old guy teaching there, Charles Shortino uh, from St. Louis. He immediately had me start learning how to play tunes, reading music, and playing things on, on this instrument. And after a few weeks... I let it leak out. I said, you know, there's also a four-string banjo in my closet at home that belonged to an uncle or something. He said, oh, you should bring that in next week, kid, because Charles was mainly a retired old banjo player from the 20s and 30s in in, uh, St. Louis. So before I knew it, I was a banjo player. Uh, (laughs) I was playing the banjo and learning all the old standards of the 20s and 30s and um, like that. For you as a banjo player, originally, well, originally guitar, then banjo, mm-hmm. but now mainly guitar, you're still, do you still do lots of banjo gigs? I do still play the banjo. Ever since I came to New York, I was, even though I was playing mainly jazz guitar, uh, I played a lot of gigs with, on banjo with traditional bands around town. There's a guy named David Oswald who does a weekly gig at Birdland in New York City. I play with him whenever I'm in town. He always has great players with him, John Eric Kelso. Randy Sankey, Wycliffe Gordon plays often with him. So I keep the banjo in circulation quite a bit. And you like playing banjo, right? I do enjoy it. And also, Dick, over the years, Dick Hyman, whenever he's had a musical project requires banjo, he always asks me to play it. You've given me a good lead into Dick Hyman, a great mm-hmm. friend of both of ours, but you've worked with him a lot. And talk about Sweet and Lowdown, the movie, the Woody Allen movie that you got to <laughs> teach Sean Penn amazingly. <laughs> To play guitar, and to really look like he played guitar. Mm-hmm. And something that really struck me when I saw that movie, because I know you so well, is that he looked like you. He he got your whole gestalt, the whole way <laughs> of playing, moving his fingers. And, of course, you did the music, yes. but you taught him to look like it. Talk a little bit about the theme of the movie for those in the audience that haven't seen the movie. I will, yeah. A Sweet and Low Down is, was a Woody Allen uh, movie from 1998. It's what the... 
people sometimes refer to as a mockumentary, kind of a fake documentary is the term that I saw in the papers. It was basically about a legendary jazz guitar player from the 30s, but a, a fictitious guitar player um, who was an American guitar player who idolized Django Reinhardt. It was like an American counterpoint of Django Reinhardt. And Woody used the movie as a vehicle to insert all kinds of wacky musician stories and funny little little idiosyncrasies that actually someone who's familiar with the history of jazz will know are drawn from a variety of sources. In one of the opening scenes, he has Sean Penn playing pool, like being a pool shark, and also being a part-time pimp, which was taken from Joel Romorden. Uh, he has a, a fascination with trains, which was taken from Duke Ellington. Um, a, uh, a little obsessive kleptomania, which was taken from another musician's, I know, but I'll, out of politeness, I won't mention it. <laughs> <laughs> but he was a you famous. But he are. was a famous traditional jazz cornet player <laughs> that I got to play with and record with. And uh, also, he had a characteristic of he liked to go to the dump and shoot rats after the gig. I don't know who that that might have been Woody Allen's own fantasy. Maybe that was Woody Allen. Maybe it might have been Woody Allen. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm I'm uh, rambling on about the, the but movie. But talk about teaching Sean Penn. Now, was he a musician already? Sean Penn had never played the guitar before in his life. And uh, initially I got hired just to play the music on the soundtrack, which I figured would be two or three days of recording the music. And the producer asked me, would you consider teaching our star how to play guitar? And eventually found out I was Sean Penn. Sean was, uh, so I would spend a couple of days a week with Sean back in San Francisco, his home. He was a very serious very easygoing, but very down-to-earth, very serious student, and uh, put a lot of work into it, took it very seriously. And after a couple of weeks, you know, I was thinking I would have to teach him a little bit about, like, how to carry the guitar and how to look natural with it, not looking like an actor, treating it with kid gloves. Within a couple of weeks, he was imitating all my body manner mannerisms without even me having to mention it to him. It was really like looking in the mirror sometimes. Really astonishing. It is astonishing <laughs> when you see the movie. I, I recommend the movie to, to everybody because it's a great movie, and the yeah. soundtrack is wonderful. Talk about putting the soundtrack together, because some people don't know how that's really done. You didn't even have you hadn't read the script. No, in the early I, I didn't part even know really what the movie was about. Uh, initially, what Woody is is uh, famous for being relatively secretive about what's going on as moving. A lot of times, the actors don't even get the whole script; they only get the pages they're doing. So he let Dick Hyman, the musical director, know that the movie was about Django Reinhardt. Well, the movie isn't about Django Reinhardt. But, <laughs> and he gave Dick just a tune, list of tunes to record and wanted kind of a spirit of, you know, the 30s type of thing. Uh, I spoke with Dick about assembling what kind of ensemble it would be. I did f find out enough that it wasn't really about Django Reinhardt. It was about, about an American band. I suggested using a clarinet instead of a violin so it wasn't a direct copy of the Hot Club of France, Django Reinhardt ensemble and we basically just recorded a big list of tunes over the course of a couple of days and only a couple of times would he be in a control room we'd do a tune and i'd play a couple of courses on the guitar and then dick would come in and say howard try to play play more chords in your solo i said okay then he'd go back and talk to woody and woody'd mumble <laughs> And I said, well, Woody wants single notes instead. You know, it was just, you know, like, he, and Woody would never speak directly to musicians. He'd only speak to Dick. It was, and finally, after, after a couple hours of this, I said, hey, Woody, what would you like on this tune? And he said, oh, well, maybe you could play a little more like this. It was, he was very, almost painfully shy. 
Oh, that's you know. interesting. Uh, Have you played in his band? I did. When I first moved to New York, I played with this. I subbed for Marty Gross. I thought you did in that. And did he talk to you then in the band? Very little. Because I said, uh, Woody Allen, for those who don't know, he, he, has, he's, uh, he has a band and he travels around every now and then doing concerts. And I've sat in with his band before and he didn't talk to me. No, very quiet. It was very kind of yeah. put his head down and that. Yeah. So I wondered. So, yeah. But that's crazy in a recording session. Well, yeah. I mean, eventually, like there was one point, there's one tune on the soundtrack on his list, I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles. And Dick wrote like kind of a little swing arrangement with a clarinet and guitar playing some little figures together and kind of... And we re-record it. And then he kind of goes over in the corner and talks to Woody and Woody says... And Dick comes over and says, Woody would like you just to play like a chorus of that by yourself, just solo guitar. I said, okay. So I just kind of ad-libbed the tune, kind of like I imagined Eddie Lang might have played it or something like that, just like I was playing in someone's living room. And that was the, if he had said at the time, that's going to be the reoccurring love theme in the movie, maybe would would have had a better idea. But anyhow, when the movie came out a year and a half later, that's the tune that was used every time there's this little romantic scene. But he didn't tell you. But he, yeah, he's very, maybe he had his own reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Can you play a little bit of it? I would, I'd love to. That would be great. Now, what kind of guitar did you use for the recording? Because you were trying to, not trying, but Mm -hmm. they wanted it. I'm I'm always curious. This is a little bit um a, a little bit more involved question because I know that with with period movies mm-hmm. they very often get the look of the period but they make it a little more modern for our modern eyes. Now, how is that done in terms of the music if they're saying get a flavor of this time but do they want you you know what I'm asking yeah. with this talk speak to that. Well, Dick Hyman, of course, had been involved in Woody in many of his projects, and the main reason is because Dick he, Woody knew that Dick knows intimately the earlier jazz styles well. So um, we recorded. I played an acoustic guitar, not an amplified guitar, because of course there were no amplifiers in 1935 or whenever this movie was set. I was trying. I got a Macaferry style guitar, which is a, a modern duplicate of this type of guitar that Django Reinhardt used to play. Uh, French-made, very distinctive-sounding guitar, uh, which really lends itself to that style of playing and brings out a different aspect of your playing. It's amazing how much just the sound and the feel of the guitar can make you play differently. And it was really fun because I'd been listening to Django Reinhardt since I was 12 years old, so it was fun to have that sound under my fingers and be able to have fun with it.
if you don't mind, this, I'm, I'm saying this really for myself, but also for the audience, to kind of give a little bit of that Django flavor, but then go do more what you were doing because you weren't playing just like Django when you were doing this. You weren't trying to do a Django no, I was really, impersonation was, or something. It was really perfect casting because it was the character, the fictitious ca- character was supposed to be an American guitarist who was inspired by Django Reinhardt, but wasn't a European, wasn't a gypsy, was living in the States. So uh, it's, that's what I've been doing since I was 12 years old, too. That so. hailed from Huntington Beach. That hailed from Huntington Beach and, <laughs> and started playing the tenor banjo when he was 10 years old. Sean Penn, uh, after about four weeks, well, two or three weeks, of just playing f- strictly physical things on the guitar just to get used to his fingers moving, I had him doing things like this. Basically just nonsense, but um, after a few weeks, I was with him in Florence, Italy, while I was filming another movie, and one evening I taught him the first eight bars of one of the tunes that we'd pre-recorded. It was the first time he actually learned how to play the melody. He'd been playing the guitar for about three weeks at that time. Had him do... Yeah, and that was that was a major accomplishment for someone who had never played the guitar before at all, you know, and who was also involved in making another movie at the time. So uh, I left him that night in the hotel and um, called the next morning and said, what time should I come to the set today, at noon like I usually do or at 1 o'clock? He says, well, you know, after you left last night, I kept playing that thing you showed me over and over again for about six hours so my fingers are kind of sore today. <laughs> I better take a day off. This is the kind of you know motivation and dedication right. I had. It was really amazing. So that'll give me an intro into playing the rest of the tune that I taught him. I'll see you in my dreams.
my guest, guitarist Howard Alden on Shine, from the soundtrack of the Woody Allen movie, Sweet and Lowdown. Before that, Howard played I'll See You in My Dreams, also featured in the movie, and recorded here live during our conversation at the Estona Jazz Festival in Switzerland. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about a project you and I are talking about at present to have you play with other guitar players. And when you think about putting a group together, it's such a complete instrument, obviously. You can play by yourself. I have that with piano. But I'm actually happier when I'm playing with guitar. I like playing with other instruments, and especially guitar. For you, when you're putting something like that together, what is the advantage for you musically and creatively to have just a couple other guitar players versus having another guitar player in a rhythm section. Talk about your favorite instrumentations. And obviously, it's having the ideal people that you want. So that so you get the best guys you can have. Mm-hmm. What do you put together and what do you want to hear? Well, really, like, like, like you just said, it really is about the people. It's not like having another guitar or a clarinet player or a trumpet player. It's about playing with a Bucky Pizzarelli or a Jackie, Jack Wilkins or a Not Cohen or a Ken Poplowski or, you know, Ruby Braff or John Eric Kelso on trumpet, mm. you know, something like that. It really is, no instrument is indispensable. Uh, it's just, I, I, but I enjoy playing with other people. I love playing by myself, but there's nothing to replace the conversation of playing with another musician and the surprises and the common ground and the differences that you find when you're doing that. The guitar is such a natural instrument to sit down and play with another guitarist. You can sit down in a corner, in a hotel room, anywhere. And I enjoy doing that all over the world. Um, again, like I, I'm, I just mentioned, Bucky Pizzarelli. I've known him in, him in New York for almost 30 years, and we love to play together. Uh, Jack Wilkins is another great guitarist I love to play with. Is a completely different and Bucky Feel. really believes in rhythm guitar. I can't talk to a guitarist without <laughs> talking about rhythm guitar. And you, that's why you're laughing. A lot of you yeah. may not know this. People take rhythm guitar for granted, but there's very few, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel, in my experience, there aren't lots of great rhythm guitar players, people that really believe in rhythm guitar. Mm-hmm. To speak to that. Very, very few. Um Rhythm guitar is like, it's really got to be just putting your ego completely out of the way and lending yourself to the feel of the whole band and taking joy and just providing the sound, the harmony at a minimal. And so many guitarists, when they play rhythm guitar, they're just counting time until they get to play a solo, (laughs) you know, or they're just waiting. So uh-huh. that's why some people don't do it so well. There's then there's been a few a, a few rare guitarists who are great soloists who also play like really wonderful rhythm guitar. Of course, probably the most famous example of consummate rhythm guitar is Freddie Green, who uh, played. I think he played two solos on in his life that are on record, but he right. played pretty much developed his whole life to pro- providing a rhythmic underpinning for the Count Basie band and other other bands, and. Um, there have been a few other great guitar players. The guy who is known as a great chordal soloist and really wonderful seven-string guitar, a big inspiration of mine, was also probably one of the best rhythm guitar players around, George Van Epps. Mm. He's on tons of 
records from the 40s and 50s, a strictly a rhythm guitarist, a lot of the famous Frank Sinatra records he plays on. And um, and you got to play together. I did get to play with I get to play with him and record with him. Yeah, that'd yeah. be a thrill. And I also got to play with Freddie Green next to you. That was such <laughs> a wonderful. We did. In fact, was that your first time at Carnegie Hall? At, that time we did it. That was. So Howard and I, the first time we got to play at Carnegie Hall was together, and Freddie Green was the rhythm guitarist, and you were really the whole solo section besides me, and Freddie playing behind us. So that mm-hmm. was a great experience we both got to have. Because at that time he wasn't. By that time he wasn't making a lot of records mm-hmm. without the Basie band. Right. It's pretty much just playing with Basie, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was it. One of the things that I've always loved about your playing from the very first is not just your belief in playing rhythm and loving doing mm-hmm. that, but being a whole orchestra around it. And I thought we could play something together. Absolutely. And that's something that you can get to the, our audience here at Ascona can hear in person and how you play around with that. Because I think it's it's a very special thing that that you one can do with guitar if they know how to do it, but it isn't often done. So why don't we play something? Absolutely. Thank you. 
I'm playing piano here with guitarist Howard Alden on Love is Just Around the Corner, recorded live at the Ascona Jazz Festival. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Jazz Times, your resource for all things jazz. Visit them at jazztimes.com. Additional support is provided by Robert's Restaurant in Watermill, New York, and the new Paradise Cafe in Sag Harbor, New York. Visit opentable.com for more information. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. And to find out about my CDs, performance schedule, and to follow me on Twitter and Facebook, or to sign up for our email newsletter, visit judycarmichael.com. I'm talking with guitarist Howard Alden, whom I interviewed in front of an audience at the Ascona Jazz Festival in Switzerland as part of a special series of conversations recorded there for Jazz Inspired. Talk about Count Basie and getting to hear him. And one of the great advantages that we had, we both worked at Disneyland in California, which sounds like a very unhip gig. But one of the great things about it was we were paid to play a lot, long hours, which we appreciate now because that got our chops going. Absolutely. And getting to hear those great bands. So talk about that because we... They were still around, a few of them, when we were coming up in yeah, at Disneyland. Yeah, it was amazing. Here at Disneyland, you know, every week there would be a different name big band. I remember hearing Woody Herman there, the Basie Band, a lot of the, the more dance-style bands like the Glenn Miller Band, the Tommy Dorsey Band that were still being run, uh, Alvin Ray. I think I, maybe even Buddy Rich, I think, was there at some point. Oh, I remember Buddy yeah. a number of times, yeah. Yeah, but I remember uh, Count Basie was there. For two weeks, I was thrilled because some of the first records I heard were Count Basie, and the sound of that rhythm section of the rhythm guitar and bass were firmly ingrained in my whole thinking about jazz. So I remember going over there and hearing the band, and it was just astonishing. I remember 
the Disney engineers were used to using microphones and everything because it was a big band. It was outdoors. They figured they need to have microphones. And uh, Freddie Green insisted upon no microphone on the guitar and no microphone on the piano either. And, you know, it was probably 200 people in the audience there, whatever that place held. But you could still hear every note clearly, and the, the feel and swing was just amazing. It was really great. At the end of that week, uh, Count Basie had a heart attack. I think this was 1976 or so. So he wasn't in, the, but the band played the next week with Nat Pierce on piano, substituting for him, who I got to know years later. And now that Basie wasn't there to tell them, the engineers put microphones and everything. And, uh. and I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't hear the guitar. I couldn't hear the piano. All I heard was this, you know, confused mess of sounds. It was, it was a real education, one of the many things just that you learn along the way. I love you saying that because yeah. people, I don't know what you say, but people ask me often what the biggest challenge is for us as jazz musicians. And I always say sound systems mm -hmm. because we can have a beautiful hall, great musicians. I can have a great piano. Everything's there. And then if people do what we don't want with the sound, it ruins everything. Yeah, it's it's just a, a different approach to presenting music and it still it still happens when i play in new york at places like carnegie hall which is used to having some of the greatest musicians in the world there for 150 years or whatever it's been and for the jazz festival weekend they bring in these huge sound systems and you, again you hear nothing but over amplified distortion you can't hear anything as clearly and that's a beautiful hall yeah, yeah. and it was an example here because you were playing you should talk about this guitar too because mm -hmm. i think a lot of people don't really understand 
the difference between an acoustic guitar and electric guitar, what you were doing okay. with that. I, I think that's, we have you here. I could talk answers. for hours about this. Yes. You no, guys don't well, have to go anywhere, uh, We can you? listen. We can listen. <laughs> so talk about that okay. because I was struck earlier, we were doing a sound check and you weren't using the microphone and I went to the back of the hall and I could hear you very easily. Well, I mean, the, the guitar, it's, it's an intimate instrument. It's really designed to be playing in, some, in someone's living room. It's, a, it's, a, you know, it's not supposed to be played in stadiums. But the electric guitar, having have, you know, the acoustic sound, even, this guitar isn't really designed to be an acoustic guitar, but it still has a nice acoustic sound to it, which is why I like to play it. So if no, if nobody's talking too much and there aren't any trucks driving outside, you can hear it really well. Now, when they, but when you try to play it in a big band, it's kind of hard to hear, and especially when guitarists start to learn how to play better and they want to play solos too. So then it was a, a struggle, and that's a lot of the early jazz records. The guitar solos are still acoustic, and most of what you hear is just trying to play loud enough chords to cut through. The rest of the band so you have some great players making the most of that people like al casey who played with with fat swaller and carl crest dick mcdonough and stuff and, but they're still playing basically rhythmic things you know mm. but you can you can make a lot of music with that kind of you know vocabulary um do you mind if I play a short excerpt? No, I I would I was hoping you would, Howard. Okay, well here's here. This is kind of a classic early uh, jazz guitar, so it kind of exemplifies that style of playing by a guitarist named Carl Kress from the '30s, and this is kind of a standard early acoustic guitar solo piece. It's called Sutton Mutton.
Anyhow, what was I talking? Oh, I was talking about the acoustic guitar, of which this actually isn't, but it still sounds nice acoustically. <laughs> of which this actually isn't. It, I like that. Yeah, but it's nice, got nice that grammar. acoustic sound. It so really does. That's, is that also the way you're playing it, too? Just playing it, it like an acoustic guitar? It's a little, bit, a little bit of the technique. Just, you know, it's funny how any instrument, once you get the sound of what you want to hear in your ear, you can usually get it out of almost any instrument. You know? Mm, you know, that's interesting, that, yeah. That's why, you know five different piano players playing the same piano will each sound different anyway too mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. but it it really you know like i've i've played so much acoustic freddie green style guitar right. too on a on an acoustic guitar mm-hmm. that now that i know what that's supposed to sound like i can adjust my touch even on an electric guitar and make it sound that way you know so i could save a lot of money on guitars that way <laughs> And not have to carry so many around with you? Exactly. I have more room in my apartment. My guest, guitarist Howard Alden with Ken Poplowski on Lucky to Be Me. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. We've been talking this week about this great theme of the festival here at Escona, uh, the new standards. And I've asked different people about coming up in the music and the people who were their mentors, if they had mentors. And it's made me start thinking about that as well. And one of the things that I know, thinking of this word standards, with not just in in relation to the tunes, but something I learned from some of the people that we knew of the older musicians was a way to behave and comport yourself also as a jazz musician. And I don't mean away from the music, but but how to show up for the gig, mm-hmm. how how to be prepared, certain things like that, without sitting and saying, how should I behave, but just seeing it. I, I remember you mentioned Count Basie, and I had a moment that I thought that I was at the knee of the master, and I said, tell me the secret. I still remember it was at Disneyland. I said, uh, you know, Mr. Basie, and he always said, call me Bill, and I could never call him Bill. I always said, Mr. Basie, what is the secret? What's the one thing I should know? And he said, listen, silence. I said, but, he goes, 
listen. <laughs> That's right. And that was I it. Love that. that isn't that beautiful? Yeah, it was just perfect. go off, child. Listen. listen. And it applies to everything, it to really each other, does. to listening to more records, all that. But I've thought about that, and I know that we knew a lot of the same people. You got to know a lot of people that I didn't know and didn't get to meet. But talk, will you talk a bit about that experience and what it meant to you? Because I love that you specifically said to me earlier that you had lots of mentors. Mm -hmm. You called them mentors. Absolutely. And talk about that. Yeah, well, I just, uh, I've I've had the good fortune to run into enough people that were open to sharing their insights if you are interested. uh, I think I think one of the people on the list was one of my first guitar teachers, Howard Roberts, who was uh, not um, that well known in the jazz world because he did spend most of his time in the studios of L.A. But he was the consummate professional and also had a great sense of humor. And he's he's one of the first things just give me a few little tips along the way. He would just say things that I always remembered, like you know, if you can't make it to a job, send a sub, send the best person you can find. Don't send someone worse than you send someone better than you you know and just little things like that you know other other than just playing the instrument mm-hmm. i learned so much from him that way but just just little insights into how to deal with interacting with our musicians and the what we laughingly call the music business you know uh, how to handle <laughs> it to make it uh an enjoyable you know practical thing i spent some time with the great red norvo that was my first um first uh, Big name jazz person I played with. He was 72 at the time. I think I was 20, and the bass player was 40, and it really made me aware how much music transcended generations. Yeah. Yeah. And Jake Hanna. Yeah. Yeah, Jake. Jake, uh, both, both, you know, now Red, uh, he was the first guy, you know, I was the, the young, hot guitar player from L.A. I felt I was playing all kinds of guitar and playing lots of notes, and I played the first day with him in Atlantic City. And he just kind of looked at me like, are you kidding? What? <laughs> and he kind of looked, rolled his eyes at the bass player and said, oh, boy, three months of this. And I'm thinking, well, what's wrong with this? And then eventually, when he was aware that I was opening the suggestions, and he would, like, say, listen, you're not breathing at all. Your rhythm guitar is stiff, you know, so-and-so. And over the course of the next three months, I learned more than in the previous, you know, 10 years. Jake was very, Jake Han, I'm sure many of you know who he who he was, and he was so generous, and that's something that I really appreciated about that, that you got to experience, too. No, Jake, None yeah. of these people were, were, were threatened. I mean, there's the, the great ones. Mm-hmm. The great ones weren't. No. And I remember my first jazz festival was the Concord Festival, which you worked a lot with Concord, and Jake was there, and Ray Brown, and this was my big moment to play with these guys. And, but Jake... And Ray, they kept saying, especially Jake said, he said, play a solo so they can see that you can play without us, which to me was an incredibly generous thing because I was there because of Jake. He had recommended me to Carl Jefferson and he said, there's this young girl and she plays stride piano. You should hire her for the festival. And Carl had never heard of me. Mm. And but in the middle of all of our tunes, Jake said, play a solo so they can see you don't need us. I just thought that was incredibly generous. Oh yeah, he was he was like that even up to, you know, to the last days of his life, you know. Yeah. It's like like, you know, he'd say he'd say what what do they need a drum solo for when they can hear, you know, 32 bars of the music, you know? They don't <laughs> He was he was like the most unegotistical 
uh, music musician. It was which is unusual for a lot of drummers. It really is, and yeah. we have drummers here that we love. Yeah, but it's true for yeah. drummers who are real that aren't just showboating. No, it's with that. Com- completely in the service of making the music as good as possible. You know, very supportive. You know, even though he he was a great soloist mm. when he when he when you could get him to do that. Yeah. Amazingly, amazingly warm and lyrical. One of the few drummers that you could listen to the the solo and you know and just love just, it. Yeah, yeah. We should play something. I think we should. Again, I'd like that. I was thinking that earlier in the week, I had Shannon Powell and Herlin Riley talking about the New Orleans experience and all the blues and everything, and I thought it would be fun to see what two kids from Newport Beach did with the blues. So here we go. Very different than the New Orleans experience.
I'm playing piano here with guitarist Howard Alden, recorded live at the Ascona Jazz Festival in Switzerland. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Well, talk about your project now, because you have a record coming out. So tell me about that. Sometime down the road. Sometime. Not too far down the road. Yeah, talk yeah. about that. Actually, uh, last autumn, ever last November, I recorded... Mm-hmm. A uh, new album for uh, for for Arbor's Records mm-hmm. for Matt Donver and Arbor's Records. Of uh, it's the first time since I record Sweden Lowdown soundtrack that I did a strictly acoustic guitar recording, kind of in the spirit of that style. Again, not necessarily uh, imitating the style of Django Reinhardt, but just definitely playing with him in mind and Emmett Ray in mind. <laughs> <laughs> the character that Sean Penn played. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, just myself and a rhythm guitarist and a wonderful player in New York named Matt Munisteria, who's here this week with yeah, uh, Catherine, yeah. Catherine Russell and uh, bass player John Burr. Oh, I, I know who John you know is. John, yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, have a couple of guest horn players on the album. Warren Vachet plays cornet on three or four numbers and Not plays uh, clarinet and soprano sax on oh, about four numbers. And it's entitled uh, I Remember Django. Ma- the, main is, the main motivation to doing a recording was a couple of years ago, I was hanging out in San Diego with Barney Kessel's wife. Uh, Barney Kessel was a great influence on my early guitar player, and I remained friends with him. He's passed away a few years ago, but I stay in touch with his wife and visit her when I'm in San Diego. And she just out of the blue said, hey, ever play that tune of Barney's? Remember, I remember Django, and I didn't remember it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I went back and looked it up, and it's a nice tune that Barney wrote for a record date he did with Stefan Grappelli back in the 70s. And I just found it to be a lovely tune and started playing on gigs and then decided it would be kind of like the centerpiece of this album for Matt. So that'll be out in a few months, hopefully. Well, I want to thank Howard. I want to thank all of you for coming and being here with us while we did this radio show. And Howard, what a great excuse for us to get back together and make some music. Wonderful. Yeah, we have to do this some more. Absolutely. We will. Somewhere we're going to find a place. We'll tell everybody we're going to. We're going to find some venue. And Howard and I are going to do some spontaneous concert. We'll find a place. We'll, if Nico's out there, Nico, don't worry. We'll find a place. We're going to get it. Make it happen. That'll be fun. Absolutely. Thank you, Howard. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to guitarist Howard Alden. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired from iTunes or at TalkShoe.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one for my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD Trio. 
I'm on piano with Mike Hashem on sax and Chris Flory on guitar. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. Special thanks to NOLA Recording Studios in New York City and our webmaster, Megan Lewis. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway & Sons and Sag Harbor Florist. Visit sagharborflorist.net. Additional support is provided by the American Hotel, Sag Harbor, New York. Learn more at theamericanhotel.com. Support is also provided by East Hampton Indoor Tennis, eight indoor and 20 outdoor courts in a quiet, beautiful park-like setting. Visit ehit.ws for information. And the I Love Jazz Classic Jazz Festival in Brazil, featuring great musicians from around the world, myself included. The festival takes place in Rio, Sao Paulo, Belo Horizonte, and Brasilia. Visit ilovejazz.com.br for more information.